This is Pastor Matt at North Plinko Baptist Church. We want to thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Not Another Revelation Podcast. We hope you guys enjoy. All right. Well, it's time for the next episode of the Not Another Revelation Podcast. And uh, we have definitely gotten into a time shift that's going to require us to back up a little bit um, as we've moved through the bowls and the woes, we're pretty deep into the tribulation, and now we're going to kind of back up. Yeah. And we, we kind of started this saying, it gets weird, uh, timeline-wise, it's really hard to maintain where you are in the timeline. So we're going to get some hints. So if we back up, we see um, that John starts a new vision. We, we get that, I saw, which all, means that a new vision is coming. We saw the, <clears throat> the mighty angels. Uh, we saw the seven thunders sounding, and John was like, hold up, big and don't write that down. Um, we we had the voice that said, go take the scroll, and he ate it. We talked about how uh, th- that is symbolic of the justice of God, the wrath of God. Is It is awesome to know that at the end of the day, God is going to make sure justice is being served. Um but deep in our belly, we know that if justice was served on us, it wouldn't be pretty. Yeah, it doesn't. Which you know, John phrases it as as bitter. Uh, and so, what we would, what we know is when we see God's wrath played out in our lives, and as if we just through reading this, when we see God's wrath played out on the people, again, a few chapters ago, when we saw. Uh, where John wrote that the, the individuals who saw this happening just would not repent of what they were doing. That leaves a bitter taste in your mouth, to say the least, with us reading that as believers, seeing that, saying, man, this is this is still just really tough because they just, they've only seen part of what's going to happen, and they still will not turn back to right. Jesus. Yeah, it's uh, and then we see the same thing. We see the same thing today when people, um, their lives are spiraling out of control. They've lost their job, and yet they still cling to whatever that sin is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's what we see here in the book of Revelation. After John eats, uh, it says, After I'd eaten it, my stomach was made bitter, and I was told, You must again prophesy against many people and nations and languages and kings. And then, so the moment that this angel that's standing with one foot on the land, one foot in the sea, all of that symbolism, John says, okay, or he says to John, you're going to prophesy about many peoples, nations, and languages, and kings. Bam, we start his prophecy about yeah. many people, languages, and kings. Because we the, the remember that the chapter and verse breaks that we have in your English Bible, some of them are great. They help us understand it better. Some of them are poor, poorly placed. But that's not, uh, God didn't put those there. Some, some monk did in, the, I think, the 13th century. Um, and, some, and, you know, just like when, at your job, there are times when you can tell, tell he was just ready to go to the house. Yeah. <laughs> and... <clears throat> So that we want to go immediately from kings to then. So John is going immediately from the angel handing him uh, or telling him that and then. And so then I was given a measuring rod like a staff. Now, uh, in researching for this, I I was able to, to find that there's a particular type of reed that grows along the river that is stiff enough that people frequently used it like as a walking stick. Mm-hmm. 
brittle enough to where it's pretty easy to cut and pretty easy to break. It kind of, as I read about it, it felt like maybe like our cattails kind yeah. of a thing. I, when I when I saw it, the first thing I thought of was like the yardstick that a grandmother or granddad would grab and just beat the back of my leg with and I got in trouble. <laughs> like that's the first thing that I thought of. I was like, oh, this is like the, this is that three foot beaten stick. Okay, you are you talking sometimes. about the the one that would kind of unfold? No, no, I'm just about the straight up yardstick. Gotcha, that just, gotcha, gotcha. And gotcha. let me tell you, it hurts. You get a little wrist action on that bad boy, and it is, it is yes. not fun. Yes, it's, and, and that's usually that thin wood that you yes. can move through the air absolutely. pretty quick. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I thought. I, it's not the same thing, but I hear a, a long measuring stick. I don't know if it's just like a, a post-traumatic you, you thing. You get a little, I go back. Just, got a little I, sick I just, in your yeah, stomach. I, I, I tense <laughs> up a little bit. I hear you. I, I mean, I've joked before that um, I can. I'm 50 years old now. My dad is 77. I can be at home and dad takes his belt off to change pants or whatever and i can be in the other room i hear that belt coming through the belt loops and i get a little nauseous <laughs> shudders it's like what did i do I start, <laughs> immediately my mind goes how do i cover this up <laughs> so um okay so i uh, see and it's funny because when i read about the measuring rod my mind immediately went to my grandfather had this measuring thing that kind of folded funny mm-hmm. that would always just pinch the fire out of you and 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 i could never get it folded right he would unfold it it's like you know four feet or four or five feet long and then you fold it back up and it fit in your pocket i always thought why why don't you just get a measuring tape why do we have to have this this complicated (laughs) well you've got that walking stick with a chicken foot on it in your office so that's that's Maybe a turkey leg. Not, well, I mean, I mean, look at the talons on that thing. If that was a chicken, that'd be a huge chicken. Well, I, there's gonna be big chickens. Okay, so we have gotten far off of, just of this. To. So um, th- these particular kind of sticks apparently were commonly used in construction. Just like if I were to see somebody at a construction site with a square metal box on their hip, I knew I would know. Well, that's that's his his measuring. Uh, He's going to measure with that. That's I, I'm not going to think that that's what he's got to snuff in or something <laughs> crazy. And so when John's handed this rod like a staff, um, he would have immediately known what, what he was talking about. And he was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. So here we have uh, the, fir- the first concrete discussion of the fact that as future events are unfolding, there is a physical temple on the earth. Yeah. And wow, you can get down the rabbit trail if you start researching that on the internet. (laughs) Um, There are supposedly uh, several Jewish organizations and and probably some Christian organizations that have already made, uh, cut the stone. They've got the red heifer sitting around in a pasture. They've got uh, they they've got the the showbread table. They've got the the little shovels. They got everything together so that if uh, some real estate were to become available at the top of the Temple Mount, then they're they're ready to go. Um, <laughs> So if you today uh, look across the the valley there and and the eastern where the eastern gate is, uh, on the other side at the Mount of Olives, there is a uh, there. It's literally like a little observation thing, like you'd see in Gatlinburg or yeah, something. Yeah. And um, you can look across that valley, and the 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 top of Mount Zion just kind of gleams at you. Um, and at the very tippy top of that where most archaeologists think that the the temple would have been is currently the dome of the rock uh there's like an open courtyard and then there's another mosque 
um, if I'm facing it from the Mount of Olives to the right. Um, and so in that courtyard, some have suggested, in fact, we, uh, there's a, a Rabbi Volinke who came to the church and talked to us about some of these issues. He thinks that Jewish archaeologists have determined that the Holy of Holies should be there in that open courtyard. So there's the possibility that maybe some uh, detente could be reached and a temple built there. Um, that, that's doubtful just because people can't get along in the Middle East at all. Um, <laughs> With, with anyone. Yeah, yes. Like with, with anybody. Regardless, we know because of this prophecy that at that point, there is a literal physical temple, which would be um, temple number five. Uh, and where I, or that would be temple number four of five temples mentioned in the Bible. In the Bible, five temples are discussed. One is, the first one is Solomon's temple, which would be the one that, duh, uh, Solomon built. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's the one that would have the big uh, brazen sea in front of it, a big bowl. And when I say big, I mean big. Huge. Uh, had three oxen that were life-size oxen made out of bronze that this bowl sat on mm -hmm. for, for ceremonial bathing and, and cleaning. Um, it was uh, beautiful. It was huge. It was uh, built uh, along the footprint of the, uh, the, the sanctuary. It was, uh, the Bible tells us that the people who built it, that God had filled them with the Holy Spirit so that they, as they did the, the labor on the temple, uh, did the paneling and, and made everything beautiful, uh, that God was leading them. And once it was dedicated, uh, when Solomon dedicated that temple, lit, the literal Shekinah glory of God fell on that temple. The, the, this fire uh, of God settled over the Holy of Holies. So, uh, Israel trucked along for, for a millennia after that, and uh, then that was destroyed, um, and it was destroyed because th they, didn't, they didn't obey God. Um, after that destruction, after they came back from, from exile, we have Zerubbabel's temple, which is um, it, when it was being built, we have this, this text that says that all the old men who, when they were little kids, had seen Solomon's temple, and they saw the size of Zerubbabel's temple because they just laid out the foundations. I mean, they hadn't built the building yet. That they, they cried. And that the young men who had never seen Solomon's temple, they were so excited that, that a temple was being rebuilt, they cheered. And in the prophet, it says that the sound of the weeping and the wailing mixed so that you could not distinguish it. Mm. And so Zerubbabel's temple compared to Solomon's was... Uh, not as as beautiful. It wasn't as big. It was uh, it, it was kind of a uh, replica, if you will. Um, it uh, is the temple that we read about where um, during the Maccabean rebellion. That's yeah. the temple where the the menorah is that uh -huh. that stayed lit for for uh, for Hanukkah. It's the temple that. Um, would have been from history from Zerubbabel until Herod uh, came to, to rule. Now, Herod uh, was not a Jew. He was uh, half Jewish. And uh, in an effort to, to kind of get the Jews to really like him, he came in, collected money from all over the Roman Empire, and, and rebuilt the temple, al almost completely rebuilt it. Uh, that's Herod's temple. That's the temple that Jesus would have walked into. Right. That's the temple that uh, we read about when it says that the the uh, apostles hung out in the courtyard mm -hmm. and preached. Mm -hmm. That was Herod's temple. 
that was destroyed by Titus uh, in 70 AD. Um, and from 70 AD to as of today, uh, 2020, uh, there is no temple. In fact, every, uh, every pious Jew prays for God to restore the temple uh, every day. So uh, John here starts talking about a temple, and I'm just going to call it John's temple for simplicity's sake. There's a physical temple here. Um, in 2 Thessalonians, as Paul is talking about prophecy, he brings up a temple. He said, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Uh, Matthew 24 talks about it as Jesus is talking about future things. And kind of we've taught through Luke's uh, version of the Olivet Discourse. And there's, there's the temple, Herod's temple, and then kind of sliding back and forth between the, John's temple. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and then finally, there's a temple that Jesus will build during the millennium. We read about it in Ezekiel uh, 40 through 48, Haggai 2, 9, Zechariah 6, 12 through 13. So those are the five temples that are discussed. And here John um, recognizes and measures out the temple. He's specifically told uh, leave out the courtyard outside of the temple. It is given over to the nations that they will trample the holy city for 42 months. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. So uh, we have 42 months, 1,260 days on a 30-day month. It's the same same number. Yeah. And uh, a Jewish month is 30 days. So um, that, that verse almost as an aside, introduces us to the two witnesses. Um, but before we get to that, I, I want us to recognize that in all of the temples, in Solomon's temple, in Zerubbabel's temple, uh, in Herod's temple, there was a courtyard outside of the temple that was open to anybody to come and pray. Mm -hmm. Uh, that courtyard is where Jesus kicks out the, the money changers uh, and because that's where the nations are supposed to come to pray. That's the courtyard that the, the disciples uh, preached at. It's where, where Peter preaches his sermon. Mm -hmm. uh, that courtyard, is, we, we who have studied the Bible should know well, and that is supposed to be for the nations. Um, in this new temple... Uh, John alludes to the fact that people from all over the world are there, and I don't have a hard time believing that. No, not at all. Uh, if I, when I was in Jerusalem two years ago, um, it was uh, it was being trampled by the nations. Then, I mean, yeah. just walking down uh, through the the narrow streets of the old city, um, you have people from every conceivable nation walking around. Um, there's a Bama store. Of course there is. Yes, there is. There is. Uh, uh, so they're catering to the rednecks that come to. That is funny. You didn't know there was a Bama store I in Jerusalem? Not. In that the old awesome. city of Jerusalem, there is a, uh, it's a little bitty shop. Why would, I mean, why would there not be? Of course. Yeah. And I, I've got a t-shirt that says Roll Tide in Hebrew on it. Oh my goodness. It's got a little fun on it. Um, yeah. So the nations are trampling away. <laughs> if a temple is rebuilt, just imagine... Uh, how every influencer on earth is going to go and have a selfie made there. Oh, my goodness. Well, something that, like, I looked at when we were talking to our students about this a, a week or two ago is uh, the end of that, clothed in sackcloth. And we kind of had to lo look at that. And, and for us to, again, not make anything out of that other than these two individuals being clothed in sackcloth, how 
weird is this going to look like in, in how people dress and whatnot, which is not how, and how some people dress. It may not be that weird. Right. And I don't know what it may look like tomorrow or whenever this could happen or whatever. Um, but to see how, just to see how, how they're going to, they're going to be very noticeable when they show up on the scene. Like it's going, it's sure. going to be, especially if we look at like, if we just, and we just looked at like the, the old Testament context of sackcloth, like again, that was purposeful to be known to, to, to make a, to, to make know what your, your grievances are and your shame and things like that. And so like for, for that to happen is going to be very noticeable. In, in Jerusalem and for the people that that from that are that are of that are of Jews descent and that of our of the nations and, and things like that they, this is going to be a very noticeable thing when these individuals show up on the scene right so uh, we have I mean we, we, we've, we've covered a lot of ground here so we backed up to the first of the of the um, tribulation and we know that because John's giving us Days And so if the tribulation is seven years uh, for the first half, he's given us that, the number of days, the mm-hmm. number of months. So we backed up before the, all the vials, before all the trumpets, before all of the, the, those woes. We backed up to kind of give the background. We've already had allusion to these two witnesses in that the 144,000 right, right. have gotten saved from their witness. And so these, these two guys show up. There's a physical temple, which isn't isn't a stretch for me that there's going to be a temple. Again, if you read commentaries that were written probably up to up until 1948 when Israel became a nation, right. they really try to explain away the physical temple, Israel being restored as a nation, all of that stuff. They they just can't comprehend in their mind how that could be possible. Yeah, and so now for us sitting here in 2020. Dude, some I could pick up CNN tomorrow and them say, "Hey, archaeologists have determined that the courtyard in between uh, the two mosques was actually where the Holy Holy is." They started construction. It wouldn't shock me even no, a little not, bit. Not at all. And, I, I know a lot of of of, of Christianized American uh, organizations stuff that would be the first to sign a check for that. Oh, like, absolutely. In all, in all seriousness. And so. There's a physical temple. We backed up to the beginning of the tribulation, and then all of a sudden, these two dudes show up. And the first thing we hear about them is that they're wearing uh, sackcloth. And and so let, let's talk a little bit about that. And you're right; that would be weird. Yeah, it's gonna be, I mean, it would be. It's very noticeable. Like this is gonna be. This is. It's not gonna. It's not gonna be kind of like thief in the night kind of thing. Like, no. This is gonna. This is gonna be a very demonstrative, declarative kind of thing that's going on here. So. Uh, sackcloth is, you know, we don't need to read too much into this. It's cloth that's made from a sack. Yeah, just think of the big bag of potatoes you go get at, like, the grocery store, and like, you just poke your head through it. Like, I don't mean, I don't really know exactly, but that's, like, that's just kind of, that's, I'm trying to think as literal as possible. My, my grandmother used to tell stories about how uh, flower sacks, when she was a little girl, would be made out of colorful fabric because they knew that poor people, that was the only way they could get fabric. Mm-hmm. And so she would wear dresses that were made from flower sacks. And so historically, up until like last week, <laughs> it wasn't uncommon for people who didn't have the resources to go buy fabric to use the fabric from uh, the sacks that you got when you bought potatoes or bought flowers or bought uh, uh coffee beans or whatever to use that to for clothing in jewish tradition dressing in that kind of that coarse um 
brown, un, unadorned fabric was something that they would do as a sign of mourning. Right. As we've read what's going to happen as these two witnesses are standing in front of the temple, we see why they're mourning. Yeah. Because all the things that we've talked about up to now are going to be happening as they're prophesying. Mm-hmm. So they show up. They're dressed weird. Um, one of the things, again, that uh, in older commentaries they have a real struggle with is how's everybody on the earth going to see it? I was just thinking that. Like, again, if we're looking at even just earlier, the 144,000, like, again, years ago, 50, 40, 50, even 40, 50 years ago, even 25, 30 years ago, to read this and think, you know what, this is this just kind of seems like a stretch. When now, you just from your phone, like with no with nothing else other than you just having a smartphone, can stream to billions of people. Absolutely. With, I mean, without any subscriptions, you pop right on Facebook, Facebook Live, and people everywhere can see it, share it, hear it, everything. Half the instant. world's population knows the lyrics to uh, Gangnam Style. Yeah, I mean, which is... Uh, it's I mean, just, three billion people watch that. It's, it's insane. And I, I don't know what some of the theories would have been, you know, 40, 50 years ago, people reading this, but this, this it's, it's pretty incredible just... Just to as as to see this being played out in the last 60, 70 years in terms of Israel's history as a nation, the rise of technology to make a lot of this right. stuff happen. And again, you don't want to take that and just go off on the deep end and start speculating of other things that we don't know are going to happen yet. But just to see how, yeah, I can, I can, well, 40 years ago, it was like, man, this is just seems like a stretch. I don't know what the logic is here. And now we see stuff. It's like, uh, yeah, yeah, I can. Yeah, yeah I can mean, happen. a lot of commentaries, uh, I think I can think immediately of Jonathan Edwards' uh, stuff on eschatology. He he tries really hard to explain, well, it says everybody on earth sees it, but we know that that's not possible. Mm-hmm. But And I can remember being in places like Haiti or uh, out in the, like, nowhere Nepal, and everybody had a phone. Yeah. Uh, if, if there was one plug, it had 50 chargers plugged into it uh, <laughs> while everybody's trying to charge their phones. After the earthquake in Haiti, you would think that that everybody getting access to their phone would be the last thing on their mind. But no, everybody had to communicate. And so um, the uh, some of the relief agencies were literally providing charging stations. Mm. Uh, I mean, that was considered like a human uh, a, a response to, to aid people. Yeah. Um, I can... I, it just we here at the church have literally had homeless people break into buildings to charge their phones. Yeah. I mean they don't have a house, they don't have a tent, they've got nothing, but they've got a, you know, an iPhone six that they can plug up and charge. So right. all the world seeing it is is not a big deal. So let's let's dive off into who these guys are. Oof. Okay, so first of all, the the two witnesses, as we've called them in Christian parlance, have been discussed throughout the Bible. In Zechariah uh, chapter 4, we read, uh, And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man who was awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? And I said, I see, and behold, a lampstand of gold with a bowl on top of it and seven lamps olives by it and one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, who are these? So here he sees the two witnesses symbolically presented. He asked the angels, who are they? The angel says, do you not know who they are? Which this angel, it's like, duh. (laughs) Um, Do you not know who they are? And I said, no, my Lord. And he said to me, uh, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? 
before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the top stone uh, who laid the foundation of the house. His hands also have despised the day of small things and shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line of the whole earth. And I said, what are these two olive trees? The angel still hasn't answered him. He's like, okay, okay, that's all good stuff. Yes, God's got the plumb line. He's in control of the earth, but who the guys? And he said, uh, in a second time, the angel said, do you not know? Um, and I said, no, I don't know. I still don't know. And he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. And so these are two guys who God has known was coming. These are two guys that, that in prophecy have been mentioned. Um, and so who are they? So if, if you don't take a premillennial pre-trib view, then most of the time these are explained as representative of, of, of all witnesses throughout human history. Yeah. Martin Luther felt like that uh, one was the Jewish witness throughout the Old Testament. The other was the Gentile witness in the New Covenant. Uh, and something along those lines has been generally favored for amillennialist uh, throughout Christendom. Most evangelicals today who are premillennialist would think, would say that these are either, uh, some hold that this is Moses uh, and Elijah because both of them in their lifetimes had the authority to hold back rain. They they did miracles and fire so, things like that. You see, you know, there's the there's the plagues of turning of turning uh, season of blood here in a second, stuff like that. Like that's you said you you can I, you can see the thread line of this, of some similarities there. Uh, and uh, some guys like John MacArthur holds to that view. Um, it, 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 there's some logic there, and and you know what? Honestly, who these guys are, John knew how to write people's names. Yeah, he he's met Moses and Elijah at the Transfiguration, yep. so he knows what they look like. Um, God chooses. That also is in, in reading a lot of this, and I've got a few notes of like a who different people say that's another one of how at the transfiguration those things yeah, right, so right. god's used them in their post-death before god can use them in post-death again like seeing that if it's happened once it'll happen again kind of thing and it would make sense because john uh when he writes about the transfiguration says that they're discussing future things right so maybe you know maybe jesus is saying all right so when you're at the temple be sure to you know that you iron your sackcloth <laughs> We don't know what they're discussing right. at the Transfiguration, but it, it, we're just told that it's future things. Um, I, I personally, uh, and you know what, it doesn't really matter. I personally think that it's Elijah and um, Enoch. That's what. That's that's another one. And there's some other ones out of the Zechariah four that it's that it's uh, Joshua, but not a di- it's a it's a different Joshua, not the regular. And then Zerubbabel. That's one that comes out of Zechariah four. That's kind of one that I had not heard before. That yeah, I've never heard that. They're, that they're descri- it's there. It's there was some description in, out of Zechariah four that they're uh, out of that they're that they're references the olive the what is the olive branch the, the olive tree olive olive tree in the lampstand. Right. I go, I, I, it's some of the verses in that Zechariah four chapter that talks about uh, it's a different Joshua and Zerubbabel. That 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 comes along out of out of out of, uh, of one view based out of Zechariah four uh, Elijah and Enoch again I can see that one too I, I see I can because neither of them died neither of them neither of them died and why uh, would God pluck two people out of right human history to not die and that not t- to me that uh, Enoch and 
it being Enoch and Elijah just kind of puts a pretty bow on it. Yeah. It could be anybody. And, and you know what? I'm not willing to go to war about that. I don't, if, if you think that it's, it's somebody else, then I, you know what? Again, John knows how to write down names. Yeah. He does at times. And so, um, I don't think it really matters that much who, who they are. And I think that a lot of, uh, you know, seminarians have argued this and people who uh, really get into eschatology. Some, multiple people have, have have written doctoral theses on this. Yeah, who are the two witnesses? I, oh, absolutely. The, I think that everybody can just settle down because we know <laughs> that it's two witnesses. And beyond that, it really doesn't matter to the story who they are. Um I think that they are physical people because we get so much description. And so like Martin Luther's idea that it's re they're representative, uh, that just doesn't, if we're going to be literalist as we read the book of Revelation and futurist, then it being representative of, of other, uh, you know, pre-Jewish um, and Gentile, pre-covenant, post-covenant, all, all and, of those and, kind of things. And then again, and again with the context, how, how does something that is representative show up in sackcloth that some of those context clues to me just wouldn't wouldn't back don't back that don't back that theory up a ton and so what we know is that there are two guys standing in front of the temple dressed funny um which isn't again that's not uncommon john showed up on the scene john the baptist showed up on the scene dressed funny Right, definitely. And, but you take note of that. People notice that they knew John as, oh, you're you're the dude from the wilderness. That pre you're the preacher for you're the you're the exactly. weird preacher guy. And even if you just have a tick like that, people notice that. People Absolutely. people notice those things about you and see, okay, something up, something here is different. Something here is weird. So not only are these two guys out there prophesying, think back over the last few weeks, everything that's happening now, right? So you've got wars, rumors of wars. You've got all, all the yay yang turning into open conflict. You've got pestilence falling. You've got critters running wild. You've got uh, all a third of the the fresh water turning to to bitter water. Stuff's on fire. So all of this is going on while these two dudes are prophesying. You can't help but think everybody on earth is going to think all this stuff is their fault. Now, clearly, 144,000 people are going to say. God forgive me, I repent and get saved. Right. But most of the earth is going to be like, those dudes suck. <laughs> uh, and well, so, and as you see, they're going to be, they, yes, they're going to be, these guys are the worst. They, they are the <laughs> these worst. These guys are the worst. And so we, we always, when bad things happen, even when it's our own fault, right? If, if um, I, so about two weeks ago, the, the alarm in the truck went off that, um, that I had a, a, a tire that was low. Mm -hmm. And I thought at first, okay, it's just a temperature change that happens. And so I go to fill it up and I can see there's a nail in the tire. Mm -hmm. I didn't have time to deal with it that day. So I, I took the compressor and, and filled the tire up and it, it was a roofing nail, thankfully. So it, it kind of sealed itself and it, it was a slow leak. And then a few days later, the ding, 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 it's like, ah. And so I have to fill it up with air again because I, of course, didn't have an hour to go to, to, to the, the tire place and get it fixed. And so I just, it was totally my fault. And then yesterday after we had freezing weather, I mm -hmm. went out to the, to the uh, truck, got in the truck and it, it, you know, it wasn't like two pounds low. It was like, I'm done. <laughs> I'm tired of playing this. And I instantly I'm angry, right? It, it was nobody's fault, but my own, but I, I'm mad. I'm like, ah, oh, I don't have time for this. Ah. And, 
the reality is, is as things are happening, even if the world understands that this is God's wrath because of I'm refusing my murders, my sorceries, my stealing. I'm not going to repent from that. If there's two representatives of God in front of them, we can blame them. It's you, their fault. You've said multiple times, and, and I've seen this too, as as pastors and things like that, when people come to you for help, for advice, for counsel, uh, and again, we're going to take them to Scripture and use and use Scripture as our guide. They're just going to hear, you just kind of want to hear, you reaffirm all the stuff right. that they've done and why they've done it and all that stuff. And then when, when it doesn't really go that way, we take them to scripture and what and, and what God says and what his word says, often sometimes they, they're gonna get they get they get a little bit offended. They get offended. And it's and it's tough. It's the the sometimes the truth and not only just the truth, God's truth burns more than me realizing that I've that I've just messed up, like for it for for me to for for someone else to tell me that I've messed up, or to even for someone uh, to show me where God's word says that I've messed up. For some reason, I just don't want any part of that. Absolutely. Well, I mean, even the world recognizes that. Gloria Steinem pretty famously said, "The truth may set you free, but first it'll tick you off." Yeah, <laughs> it's very it's very very true. And so these guys standing there, dressed funny, untouchable, because. If anyone would harm them, so clearly people want to take them out. Absolutely. Um, then fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he, he is doomed to be killed. Imagine so, that. <laughs> so here are these two guys preaching. Some dude comes at them with a knife. Some dude comes at them with, with uh, uh, a gun. Somebody sets a fifty cal up across the way, um, and fire just burns the guy up now now is that figurative of they just fall over dead or does fire actually come out of their mouth i, I think it says fire i mean yeah, I mean, he said fire before and it hasn't been figured he hasn't said like a fire he says fire fire comes from their mouth and consumes them dooms them to be killed and so fire is often seen as God's wrath. We see it in Leviticus 10, Numbers 11, Numbers 16, Psalms 106. Like the last four chapters of Revelation. Like the last four <laughs> chapters of Revelation. So we see these guys. So if I've got something that's already making me mad, and then I realize they're untouchable, nobody can hurt them. Now I'm really going to Now you're super mad. And so if you don't think there's 50 live cams pointed at these two prophets <laughs> so that you can sit in Glencoe, Alabama, and pull whip out your iPhone at this point, you know, iPhone 25, <laughs> um, iPhone Gold. At some point, they're going to have to change the numbers. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we can't just get, keep going. we something else, the platinum iPhone. And so I whip out my phone, and I can watch these two guys and, cu and cuss at them. It's like, ah, just that. Yeah. And where there's no fresh water, and I don't can't get food. It's all and their fault. This, this is who's doing it. Yes. This it's, is, it's, it's entirely no, their fault. It's no longer the Democrats or the Republicans or whatever else. It's these two guys. It's these two guys. And they have power to shut the sky so that no rain falls. We've already seen where natural weather patterns are messed up. A third of the water is made undrinkable. And these guys are saying— because of our prophecy, it's not going to rain. And, dude, it doesn't rain. Mm. Now, th this ties back, if you remember from the uh, uh, the seven seals, there was that the wind stopped. Right. And it's logical to think that maybe this can can put us in or about where it is in the tile. Because yeah. if there's no winds, then there's going to be no the, – the meteorological cycle is going to fall apart. Mm -hmm. So there's no rain. And there's no rain for three and a half flipping years. Oof. Again, if we've already talked about before, as things have there, we see scarcity, we see uh, famine, we see all of these things happening. 
no rain is is just going to put that on steroids. Like even if, even if it was just like an inflation thing or an, an economical thing, well then we mix in. Well, okay, half the half the earth does burn up, so we don't have crops. We don't have have for grazing animals. Now they have less to eat. So if they have less to eat and there's less cows for steaks and things like that, uh, and so forth and so on, that that those dominoes keep falling, and then you shut right you shut the rain up out, out from the sky. Man, we are in so. I mean, this is this is tough. Like it is again, as Paul says, groaning and just. You can just feel this just drying up, and it's why you can start to see muscles per se in terms of like you just see this getting scrawnier and right, scrawnier right, right. and scrawnier. And it doesn't take long with no rain for the way we kind of perceive things to change. I know, was it two years ago we had a drought here in Alabama yeah. that we went, uh, we we had a rain. I don't remember it was on my birthday, so it was, oh, we had a rain like July thirtieth, and then it didn't rain again until like mid October. Yeah. That's only a couple of months. And I I know the shrubs and uh, several of the shrubs in front of our house died. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I had just planted some plants and um, even even watering them, they still died because they weren't getting that deep saturation of water. Uh, and a lot of the old trees around Glencoe. Um, died through that, and they're just now falling down. We're still dealing with that, and that was just a couple of months. Yeah. So imagine for years going without rain, uh, what everything's going to look like. Uh, it's just going to be bad. And not only d- does it stop raining, it's that they can turn water to blood. They can strike the earth with every kind of plague. And so some writers have tried to tie this to to the seals being broken. Yeah that they're proclaiming that these are going to happen and then they happen. And so we're getting one view of it from heaven. Now we're seeing the view of it from earth. Yeah. And that's not uncommon in the way that God kind of unfolds his, his, his plan. We, you know, in the old Testament, everything had a primary cause and a secondary cause. The primary cause is always God. It, there's some spiritual thing that's happening. Yeah. And then the secondary cause is happening here on earth. Yeah. I mean, Moses going up and striking the water with his staff and the, the, the sea being split. Well, the Bible says over and over that God split the sea. Right. God brought you across on dry land. And so we see God is the primary cause, Moses is the secondary cause. So it could very well be uh, that what we see is the seals and what's happening in heaven is our primary cause. And then, again, look at the similarities to what we read during the seals. Uh, there's no rain, which would tie into the no wind and all that, that, that stuff. Um, powers uh, to turn water to blood, to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And so as all these things, what we saw in the seals and what we saw in the vials unfolds, these guys are on earth prophesying it. So they are far and away the most hated individuals on oh, earth. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, these funny dressed people that everybody's watching on their phone. Um, people getting burnt up like burnt marshmallows out here because they don't like them. And so, and, and just if you look at the way our culture is trending in everything from uh, sexuality to identity politics, you can't, even in the church, the, mo- the only heresy that there seems to be left in the church is claiming that somebody's a heretic. Yeah. The the surest way to make yourself canceled is to somehow suggest that a person, their claimed identity isn't accurate. Well, to, to speak biblical truth it has been canceled. And essentially. So, absolutely. And so God's been canceled and he sends these two witnesses to say, you can play whatever little game you want to play. Mm-hmm. 
truth is still truth. I am still God, and there's nothing you can do about it. In fact, um, it says, and when they they have finished their testimony, the beast, and this first mention of the beast, John's going to go back to the beast yeah. in chapter 13, that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. How that happens, John doesn't tell us, but somehow the the beast is going to overcome them. He's going to be able to kill them. And when they die, um, the world is going to rejoice. And this was something that, you know, while reading this, and I've, I've tr- honestly tried in a lot of this to not use a secular points of view when I'm teaching, but to read what some secular views of uh, of the this eschatology and the revelation stuff is. Um, you get one of the ones uh, in in when I was preparing a few weeks ago for a sermon, the whole, the whole view of, well, if Jesus says that this generation will, uh, will pass away, well, he was wrong. Like seeing those secular views to where to try to balance out, okay, this is what other people are saying versus this is what it says. And one of the ones here was this, this, this shows God's limited power. This shows if this is actually happening, this shows that he doesn't really have any control that this beast or whatever it really is. It, it, it was a, there's a lot of, of, of time parked in this whole, uh, in, in this, in this whole, the beast killing the individuals. I was like, look, you don't, you, you pulled out this one thing. Like God has allowed his people to, God allowed his son to, to die. And for others to, to, to seemingly have quote unquote victory that didn't turn out so well. Uh, and, and so to see that secular point of view, that was really, anytime they see God kind of seemingly lose for a second, people just jump all over that stuff. Well, and all you've got to do to really understand what God's got going on here is back up just a few letters Yeah, because it says when they have finished their testimony, mm-hmm. then God is the one who's allowing them to die, and you, we will see his purposes being fulfilled through their death. Right. So they're dead. They're left. Their bodies are left lying in the street. For days. For three and a half days. Days. That is insane. And again, thinking of all, like, reading this context that, they, that they've made married. They're, they're, they're happy. They're joyous. They're giving people gifts. Yeah, giving presents people, to They each other. literally created a holiday because right. these guys are dead. Like, that's intense. That's really crazy to think that the whole entire world in Jerusalem and all these places are singing and happy. I mean, and it's this is like Dark Christmas 2.0 because <laughs> yes. these guys are dead. This is insane. This is crazy. And all the world views them dead and everybody's pulling up the the video and being like dude they're so dead here's an iphone this is crazy (laughs) so um they they lie in the streets their their bodies are left lying half half street streets Uh, let me just read the text and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called sodom and egypt where their lord was crucified so we know it's jerusalem Mm because that's where jesus was crucified so and then for three and a half days some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb and those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets that have been a torment to those who dwell on the earth have died this is barbaric like at the least kind of and just just sick I, but I can see it. it no, 100%. I, I mean, I could, I, 
easily see this happening. So the the world is celebrating. There, you know, people are dressed up as costumes. People are are mockingly wearing sackcloth. Yeah, everybody's got sackcloth now. And uh, a lot of booze is going to be sold. Hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. And so everybody's partying. Everybody's pulling up the live stream and looking at the bodies. Ha ha! They're dead. All of a sudden. <laughs> uh, it says, but after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood up on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw him. That is that is really cool, and also I feel really bad because that it's not just feared. We're not just scared. It's like, oh, that was a great fear. Yes. <laughs> well, and you can imagine if everybody's high-fiving every, everybody else, and everybody's giving each other you know, a new eye watch because the dudes are dead— <laughs> And they're watching the live stream and they're thinking that they're going to watch them rot. And all of a sudden they get up. Do, do you have to get your gifts back? Yeah. I don't, what's the return? I hope that. Is there saying, a gift return? I hope here? that they have a great. I hope that that three and a half days is just. I mean, I hope, like, as you say, I hope everybody is swinging from chandeliers in Tijuana. <laughs> like, I that's hope right. that that's the point that they've got to. They better enjoy it because it is going to come to a screeching halt. So the dudes stand up, great fear falls. And again, that, that is like, even though it says great fear, that, that's pretty much an understatement. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, of the whole of people falling over dead, stuff like that. Again, I don't know if that happens, but anytime I, you see great fear coming from God, whether it be with angels or whatever, like the whole moment is like, oh, hey, y'all, please don't die. Just hold on a second. And they're like, that's kind of what I feel like. There's people like, oh, crap. <laughs> so, the, I mean, part of me thinks of like, uh, you know, all the TV shows about like ghost hunters. Yeah. And, and and how everybody's going to flip out. Oh, yes. Um, all right, so the dead guys get up. There's a voice from heaven that says, come here, come up here. <laughs> and their enemies watch them. And at that hour, there was a great earthquake, and the tenth of the city fell. So 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven, and the second war was passed. So it seems like God uses the resurrection of these two guys to turn the city of Jerusalem to repent. Hence, 144,000 Jews, possibly. Right. Again, I'm not saying that's what happens. I'm just saying I can see the thread line. And so, again, it may have appeared that when the, the beast killed them that, they, that the enemy wins, but from... Little to huge, God loves to take things where the enemy looks like he won, where, as Joseph said, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good, and turn it on its head. I mean, the, the clearest place that that happens is at Golgotha, right. because the most wicked, evil act in human history, that God himself came to man and we said, kill it. The most vile thing that humanity's ever done, God has turned that into such a beautiful picture of love that even today, people who don't even have an, uh, any idea of what Christianity is walk around with a cross symbol around yeah. their neck. I mean, I see so many dudes with cross tattoos. And you're, yeah, yeah. And you're just like, well, do you even know what that means? I, I am surprised at the amount of Philippians 4.13s that I see on people. It's like, I don't. Uh, you either extremely misunderstood the misunderstand the context, which is quite possible. Yes, and you just in, interesting, inter, good good choice. You could put a, you could have put worse things on there. Interesting choice. I, I had a, a neighbor uh, when we lived in North Carolina who was just 
covered from head to foot in tats. He uh, he had been uh, in the army, and he he's some of the first dudes uh, who'd gone into Afghanistan. Yeah, and he he, he just uh, his service to our country had really messed him up. Mm-hmm. And so he's covered. He, uh, my kids who were little at the time, um, were, were a little freaked out by him because he never wore a shirt. It didn't matter what the temperature was outside. <laughs> None. Uh, he, I, we never saw him wear a shirt ever. I mean, it could be 20 degrees outside and he would come knock on the door. And, uh, uh I had spent a lot of time trying to talk to him and try, trying to witness to him. And so whenever he had a problem, he would come, if his toilet was stopped or up or he, he accidentally shot a deer one time, like in the middle of the summer, not the season. And he was freaking out because he thought that the game warden was going to come arrest him on the spot. And he'd come over to my house and, and, uh, but whenever he showed up, he never had a shirt on and all over his body, he had Bible verses, not like the whole verse put out, but like, you know, Psalm 18, 14, Proverbs. Yeah. And I asked him, so what is that verse? And he was like, I, I don't know. And I'm like, so why do you have that tattooed on you? And he's like, well, this reminds me of, of this buddy that I lost. And I'm like, but if you don't remember what the verse is. Then how do you remember the, the buddy? <laughs> and so, I, okay, we've gotten far afield from the cross, but there's a lot of the cross is symbolic of, of, sacrifice and beauty and the ultimate gift of love and so that people today wear it almost as as um as graffiti and so here god turns the earth wickedly vulgarly barbarically celebrating the deaths of the two witnesses that he sent to plead with earth to repent yeah the earth kills them celebrates it and then they get up. God uses that to turn the city of Jerusalem back to him. Mm. And so, um, and then John tells us the second woe has passed. Now, remember, and back in Revelation 9, 13, uh, we heard, read the first woe has passed. And now there are two more woes. So the second woe has now passed. Um, and then John immediately comes back to the seven trumpets, which I right. think is a good good spot to break, even though it's not a chapter and verse break. Uh, but in 1115, then the, the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven. So let, let's pick up next week there. We'll probably never be able to get back on the chapter and verse delineation again. <laughs> we'll try. Um, but uh, I, I hope this has been helpful. And this has been another episode of uh, Not Another Revelation podcast. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Go serve your king. Thank you guys again for joining us on this week's episode of Not Another Revelation Podcast. You can join us live in person each Sunday at North Pinco Baptist Church at 10 a.m. Or you can go to our website, northplinko.org, to watch our live stream or check out our other podcasts, ministry information, past sermons, and past worship service. Thank you guys for tuning in.